With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's an all-media edition. We got the mad dog Chris Russo. We got Buster Olney and we got Mike Farron. But Chris Russo is a Radio Hall of Famer. Of course, has his own channels on Sirius XM and also MLB Network. He hosts the show High Heat. Here is the mad dog. This guy is the greatest sports Stark radio host that we've ever had. He's a Hall of Famer and, of course, the host of High Heat on MLB Network. The great Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, is with us. How are you, Mad Dog? Christopher, baby, how you doing, pal? Things good? What do you have for me today? Today was like Game 7 of the World Series for the A's. My God, did we need a win. Oh, boy, oh, boy, you sure did. Got a run in the ninth inning. Uh, then you get the run by hit by Moreland. That was a huge win. Tough schedule to start the year. Pitching's been bad. Going to Houston won't be easy. You had a you needed this game in the worst way. I mean, you almost were going to match the worst start in the history of the A's. That was a very, very, very important win. I felt the same. I know I didn't. I didn't follow it too carefully today. I mean, I knew they were losing three two. I then I saw they won in the extra innings. That was a must-get for the A's. Uh, they've been out of. They've been basically out of every game in the sixth inning. Uh, they needed this one today. I 100% agree. They're getting bad news out of Rosenthal, which you don't like. Uh, this is a uh, you know they could be going down. A, they could be. You know the A's could be in the process of having a bad year. I mean, uh, you know sometimes it just it it doesn't fire for you. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to say that yet. But you know, Owen six. One and six sounds a lot better than 0 and seven. So that's a good step for you today, Chris. No question about it. Long way to go, but a good step. When I'm bringing up 1916 and Connie Mack, you know it's not good. Yeah, that's a good point. 100%. (laughs) When you're doing that, you know you. And that's right. That's when Connie Mack sold his great teams. You know, Connie Mack had the two great runs with the A's. They were late 20s. And then, of course, in that period there in 1912, 1913, and the Federal League broke up his team. So, uh, you know, and there was a scenario where the A's were on their way. This is a very, very, very important win. Now, going to Houston's played great. You just saw them last weekend. You know, they've scored a million runs. That will be their home opener. It'll be a hard series, but, you know, just get a, you know, win one at least. Love, is it a three-game or a four-game series? Three-game series? It's a three-game series, and we got an off day on Sunday, which is weird. No, it is strange. Yeah, back-to-back off days. A lot of teams had last Sunday off. You know, the uh, Marlins and the Rays had last Sunday off. Uh, a lot of teams, somebody else that had last Sunday off. So uh, something different with the Sunday off. But, uh, you know, get a game at least. Don't get swept. Get a game at least and sort of regroup a little bit. Hard schedule for the A's playing the Astros, Dodgers, and Astros. That's a tough way to start the year. 
Well, I got to tell you, the win today, a lot of different guys contributed, and you could see after the game how everybody felt the big relief. And there's something like games like this that can kind of propel you when everybody starts to get on track and feel good about themselves. So we hope that's going to happen. And, Chris, I got to tell you, the one thing, this this Dodger, obviously they've won the division eight straight years. They won the World Series. But they have such a problem with the back of their bullpen. To me, if they, if they had a good bullpen, I think they could have a Yankee-like run like 98, 99, 2000. It's just they just have such a hard time closing games out. Well, I remember, too, Chris, though, when they get into the big game later in the year, especially in October, they won't have Jansen close the game. They will put one of their starters, Eurasis, they will put him back in a bullpen like they did last year. So they will put him, and he bailed them out last year on two or three occasions. They can put one of their starters in the bullpen in a big spot, and they won't have to rely on Jansen. Furthermore, they make a trade in July to get the best relief pitcher. So that's a problem that will bother them throughout the year and they'll lose an occasional game like today because of it, but they're going to win the division by 30 games. So from that standpoint, it's not going to be too harmful. And then when they get into the crucible of their season, which begins October 1st, that is when they have their bullpen somewhat modified and corrected. So you can pick them off occasionally in the regular season because of it, but in October, I'm not sure you can. Last year, they lost one game because of it with Tampa in game four but they still won a championship and they will not have Jansen close with the season on the line. So keep that in mind in that spot. They will change it. You know, we all love Dusty Baker. He's, he's a, he's a wonderful man and, and everything that he's done in his career. But recently when he was complaining about guys getting booed, guys getting yelled at, and he said that their guys have paid the price I know it didn't sit well with our fan base. It didn't sit well with the Angels. How'd you feel about Dusty Baker's comments? Well, here's what I would say about the, the, A's, the A's and the Angels fans. Stop booing the Astros because you're fueling them. Leave it alone. That motivates them. They just went 5-1 and one on a road trip. They killed the Twins last year. They buried the A's, and they almost beat Tampa. Uh, they got a lot of hot. They got a lot of young guys on that team still. Bregman. Altuve, Alvarez, obviously Correa. Uh, that's a winning team. That's a win. Now, listen, I'm not making excuses for them, but it's a winning team and it's a winning franchise. And I think they take, they love the fact right now that they're hated. I think it gives them a big chip on their shoulder. And I think in the long run, it hates them. It, it fuels them. So I actually think, you know, the A's booed them for four days and they got swept and they scored about 50 runs. I think you're almost a little better off leaving them alone and just letting, you know, letting them sleepwalk through a series. They went nuts last week and sort of the angels and the angels barely won a game and they went nuts last week. And, you know, they did pretty much absolutely nothing Oakland that week. I think you're doing everything. The American league West is doing the Astros a favor by riling them up on a day in day out basis. I really do. I think that's a great point because, you know, you know the difference between what we saw last year and what we're seeing this year, Chris? They've got their swagger back. There seems to be. I don't love their starting pitching. Uh, I don't love that they could use some pitching. I mean, I got young pitchers and, you know, I mean, Odorizzi and, you know, obviously Granke's pitched well so far. I don't love their pitching. 
but they they got a good offensive team. I mean, they got a good third baseman. They got a good infield. Alvarez helps Kyle Tucker's very good. Brantley came back. That's a good offensive team. And you know they're going to be the te- they're still the team to beat in the division. I don't care anybody says they're still. The- I got to see the Angels pitch for the whole period of the for the whole year. The A's are already in a big hole. Seattle and Texas aren't winning anything. So I, I still think they are the team to beat in the American League, and I just think you should leave well enough alone. Um, and the Yankees are the best team in the you know the Yankees are not the great Yankees, but the Yankees I still think are the best team in the league. But I think everybody is you know looking up at the Dodgers, who are by far the best team. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the sport. I think they're going to win well over 100 games. They'd be tough to beat in the postseason, no question about it. Yeah, we just saw it. I mean, the the depth that Dave Roberts has, it it gives him the ability to give guys off days to keep them fresh. Uh, They're very, very, they're very, very talented. You know, the biggest controversy we got on our sport is moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta to Denver, uh, what is your opinion on that? Uh, the uh, commissioner had no choice. He had to do it. Uh, not because of the, you know, whatever his politics are, but he had to do it because he could not take a chance in July that there would be a boycott of the game, uh, you know, led by Mookie Betts or Stanton or Judge or whomever. He could not take that chance. You can't have an all-star game in Atlanta and then have all your players not show up. That would have been an absolute disaster. I think he knew that and had to make sure he got ahead of it. So I have no problem whatsoever with him moving again. I know people are annoyed by it, but he did it to protect his sport because he could not guarantee that players would have been there. Players would have had a lot of pressure. Uh, Don't forget, the All-Star game is right up against the NBA Finals this year in July. You know, Lakers, Nets, Harden, LeBron, Durant, you know, doing the social justice stuff and, you know, being very together and the media on their side, rightfully so, and baseball is playing an all-star game in a, in a city that a lot of people think, or in a state that came up with restrictive voting laws. Now, I don't forgetting what I feel about it, I'm just talking about it from a commercial standpoint and a business standpoint. Rob could not take that chance. So he's taking a bullet now. You knew he would take a bullet. I'm sure he knows that he'd take a big bullet, but it's something that he had to do uh, going to cut. Now he went to Colorado because Colorado was in the, uh, was in the plans of a future all-star game. They had already been well under the way with their presentations. They already had, you know, set their plans together for down the road. And, you know, they kind of had a feel of how to flow an all-star game. And in a short period of time of only three months, I think he probably felt that they were a little better equipped to handle this than, say, Milwaukee. So I think that's why he went to Colorado, too. That explains that. A lot of people are annoyed that he went to Colorado. That also has, I guess, some of the restrictive voting scenarios. But that's the reason. But it's something that he had to do. Do I, do I necessarily agree with it? Who cares what I think? From a business standpoint, I think it was the right move for the commissioner. I really do. On opening day, I'm driving to the ballpark and I'm listening to you on XM and you made some great points. And speaking of the business of baseball, you're talking about how opening day, it's so important. But, you know, baseball's lost a lot of fans and they need to be smart with everything they do to try and build that fan base back up. 100 percent. Now, they're going to lose some fans here, too, because, you know, it's right down the middle on this on this issue. You know, you got half the fans who love it and half the fans who think it's terrible. 
I've heard all the I, I the calls today. I got a lot of fans telling me, geez, what a joke. I'm never going to a game again. You know, fans are going to go to the games. What you have to do now if you're a sports fan, Chris, you have to separate things off the field and just concentrate on the field. You, you can't get that worked up. Uh, if you don't like some of the uh, actions, you got to leave it alone. It's still sports. You got to enjoy it from a sports perspective. When they whistle, when, when, the, uh, when, the, when the game starts, it's still a game. And that's how you have to approach it. If you're going to sit there and quibble about what people say, what they do, league stances on certain things, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy. You, you really got to look at it just from a sports perspective. That's what I'm trying to do, not get too wrapped up in all the outside stuff and just concentrate on the sports. But I do understand from Manfred's perspective, I do get a good feel of why I made, why, why I made it. Now, listen, I got some issues with baseball. I can bring up a lot of issues that I don't like. I, I see a lot of hypocrisy with this and other things. But as far as this specifically is concerned, I understand why baseball did it. I really do. You know, my biggest issue is the length of games starting out this year is completely out of hand. We've been having four-hour games. We're averaging well over three hours, 20 minutes a game. You and I love this game, but how do we speed it up? Because right now, you're not going to get kids sitting through three hours and 40 minutes of baseball. What are we going to do? 100% right. This has been a problem now for a while. Not as bad in the postseason because the games mean something. But think about it for a second. Uh, Kansas City and Texas, in the opening game of the year, they did not play the bottom of the ninth inning. 14-10 was the final. It took four hours and 26 minutes. If that was Chiefs-Cowboys at Arrowhead, uh, five feet away from Royal Stadium in the same parking lot, game would have been over in three hours. They play 16 games. The Royals play 160, 162. That's all you need to know. The Texas-Kansas City opening day game took four hours and 26 minutes, and they play 162 games. Chiefs and Cowboys, now they're going to play 17, play 17 games. It takes three hours. That's all you, that tells you what you need to know. Uh, the pitch clock, you like to see it. People stepping out of the batter's box, you like that controlled. Uh, the parade of relievers is a, is a disaster. A great pitcher taken out after five innings. Aaron Nola today was leading the Mets 4-1 after four innings, came out after four. He's their, he's their ace. I know it's his second start of the year. That's ridiculous. Jo- Jacob Grom, the, an opening day for the Mets two days ago, 76 pitches taken out after six innings. When you do that and you bring in a bunch of relief pitchers, games slow up. But the pace of the game is a major problem in a sport. There's no question about it. Major yeah. problem. Can't DeGrom, with his cachet, look at look at that? I'm not coming out. Like, if I'm taking DeGrom, I, I'm, I'm fighting everybody who wants to take me out of that game. I think he would have in, a, in, a, in, a, you know, in, a, in September. I think it's April 5th. They had a five, they had like a week layoff because of COVID. Uh, it's the first game of the year. I, it's a new manager. Don't forget, Rojas basically just got there. So I, I think he's trying to be a little um, – I think he's trying to, you know, be somewhat accommodating. I think if that September, you know, he is a little more forceful about staying in the game. But it's so early in the season, he takes himself out. But he took him, you know, it was 77 pitches. And, you know, when Aaron Ola comes out of the game today, now he struggled in the fourth inning, but he came out of the game today after four innings. I mean, 
and then you're bringing in nine relievers to get you know, the, the next 15 outs. No wonder the game takes four and a half hours. It's a problem. Baseball's got a, you know, who knows what the solution is. Uh, less relief pitching, people not stepping out of the batter's box, a pitch clock, more balls in play, not taking 20 pitches in a bat. That would go a long way to speed up the process. Let's end on this. You got the TV show. You got your show on Sirius XM that covers all sports. Just how do you how do you cover baseball and then what you do on your satellite show where you cover all sports? It's just trying to figure out how you're able to cover all this. It's truly amazing. Well, what I try to do, sometimes baseball helps me the TV show because there are occasional days, maybe 10, in which I'll do the same monologue because baseball is the lead story in sports. So that actually helps me. And the other thing that helps me is that there's so few talk show hosts now, nationally in TV, radio, that do baseball. Baseball is not part of the national discussion. They're not part of the national conversation for a variety of reasons. A lot of young hosts, they don't know that much about the sport. They don't know anything about the history of it. Joe DiMaggio, they've never heard of. Mickey Mantle, they have no idea who he is. And so as a result, since I do so much of it, I think it actually helps me. Uh, but, you know, baseball has its moments where, you know, you're going to talk about it in October. You're going to talk about it a few times in July. You're going to talk about it opening day. You're talk about it a little bit in March, maybe at the trading deadline. But you are still going to talk about football. You're still going to talk about college football more so than you're going to talk about baseball. But, you know, that doing the baseball show every day on TV, it actually helps me for the radio because, I wouldn't probably follow baseball as closely as I have to if I didn't have to do the TV show. And that, in, in theory, that helps me do baseball better on the radio. So, in essence, it helps me some. Uh, you know, nobody's going to call me tomorrow on the Pelican-Nets game. Uh, you know, but I'll get calls on, you know, some certain things in baseball right now this time of the year. You know, the college is over. College basketball is over. So baseball's got a little window here without a lot going on before the draft. It's in the NFL draft. Got a little window here to make a little noise. First couple of weeks of the season and everything else. And baseball has been in the discussion the last few days because of this all-star game. So in essence, it kind of helps baseball, puts it, on the, puts it on the map a little bit. And, you know, as a result, that helps me because I got to cover it every day. Well, I got to tell you, you know how much you mean to this program. We always appreciate your time. You're an icon in our business. Thank you so much for coming on. Be safe, be well, and let's talk soon. Good job, Chris. Anytime, pal. Appreciate it. From one legend to another, Buster Olney from ESPN. You read him on ESPN.com. He's got the Baseball Tonight podcast, one of the top podcasts. And, of course, you see him on television, Sunday Night Baseball. Here's Buster. Well, he's one of the top baseball columnists in our game, and he by far has the best podcast with baseball tonight covering our game. It is phenomenal. You should be listening to it every single day. Buster, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Chris, always great to talk with you. It's always a good conversation about one of the, always the team that surprises us, that's for sure. Come on, Buster, the Angels again? <laughs> now, in my defense, and I did pick them to win the American League West, one, it, I, I I can't say I have a lot of confidence in, in that pick, 
Uh, two, it's been a long time since I picked the Angels to win the division. Uh, I am buying into the hype a little bit more. And there's also, I just want to concede, I would be one of the people that Matt Chapman would say, what an idiot, based on the confidence that uh, the Athletics have to have a really good season. But I, I, I am intrigued by what the Angels have done. So you wouldn't bet the family farm on it? I would not bet the family farm on the Angels winning the division. Uh, look, I, I like the mindset of Perry Manasian uh, since he took over as general manager there. He's gone in there. He's gotten a lot of guys, um, you know, trying to upgrade the team for 2021. It's smart. He knows that Artie Moreno, the Angels uh, owner, doesn't have a lot of patience. And so they ramped up and added, you know, Jose Quintana. And, and they added Alex Cobb. I, I don't think they're close to being the best team in baseball. But I do think the division's kind of taken a step back uh, with George Springer leaving uh, the Astros with Justin Verlander not being able to pitch, you know, Oakland loses Liam Hendricks, Marcus Simeon, um, you know, go, goes off to the, uh, the Blue Jays. And, and I think the Angels are going to be better. Uh, I think they, they did make some good additions this winter. But this happens all the time. People don't believe. And then the next thing you know, after the All-Star break, you're like, wow, Oakland's pretty good. And they win 97 games. So you won't be shocked if this ball club actually wins <laughs> I remember asking Billy Bean once, like, what happens on May 30th? Because it feels like that, the, you know, the one thing you can count on in the American League West is that the athletics get better over the course of the year. And, um, and you can understand, you know, why Matt would be confident uh, about, you know, the, the group of young starters like they have that over the course of the year, they're going to get better. Um, I do wonder uh, about, you know, how fragile the bullpen will be. Um, you know, we'll see. They always seem to find a way. They always seem to get better. And, and I love how they they always manage to to use that as a chip on their shoulder uh, to drive them through the season. See, you know, Matt's comments about, uh, you know, how he likes to look at the projections and how ridiculous he finds them. Fair. That's absolutely fair. If you look at the history of the athletics, they always seem to find a way. You know, after reading that article in The Athletic about how dysfunctional the Colorado Rockies are, it just makes me feel great about our franchise. When you look at the longevity of Billy Bean, David Forrest, their entire staff, Bob Melvin, now the longest tenured manager with one team, just talk about how continuity wins. It's enormous, especially for a franchise that has that constant challenge of turning over the roster, uh, of dealing with, you know, financial issues. The Tampa Bay Rays right now, uh, you know, are, are held up as the current model, I think, in the industry. But, I mean, my goodness, since the, you know, 1997-98, Oakland would have to be. Um, and I do think that has a lot to do with it, that they, you know, as they go through a winter and, and they deal with, um, you know, the departure, you know, of a Mark Mulder or a Tim Hudson, a trade, you know, Barry Zito leaves as a free agent. Uh, there's never any panic. And they feel like, okay, Marcus Simeon was an important player. Uh, he was part of the community. He was an important part of the clubhouse. You know what? We'll, we'll find a way. You know, we'll use our, our, our money uh, more constructively. We'll go trade for Elvis Andrus, and, and he'll help us. You know, they're, they're confident, I'm sure, that they're going to be able to find relievers, uh, you know, to help plug the gap for Liam Hendricks. You go and get a Trevor Rosenthal, who seemed to regain his command last year. That's how they do business. And I think that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll always believe that they'll, 
they'll find a way to do it. And you love the fact that they've never gone down the path that we've seen so many teams tank, uh, uh, you know, take by tanking and essentially deeming themselves irrelevant competitively for five or six seasons. I'm looking at what, what the Orioles are doing now, and it makes me sick to my stomach, you know, because they're taking fans for granted, and the Oakland Athletics front office has never done that. Yeah, we just had Ken Singleton on, and he's talking about still living in Maryland and his golfing buddies and former Oriole teammates. They're all disgusted. I mean, there was the Oriole way, and it's all gone. I got to ask you about how is it possible we don't have a DH in the National League, we don't have expanded postseason. What are we doing here? Well, the relationship between Major League Baseball and the Player Association is the worst that I've ever seen it, and I would, I, I would. I really believe that it might be the worst since the 1960s, um, you know, which is the time when Marvin Miller was really beginning to establish himself at the top of the union because they're not even really talking. Look, Tony Clark ha- had a statement last week when um, you had the Georgia voting initiative go through and Tony Clark was called by the Boston Globe uh, and asked about, you know, could there be a chance you could move the all-star game uh, out of Atlanta? And-, and we'll set that issue in particular to the side But Tony's comments were so telling to me uh, where he basically said, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to have a conversation with Major League Baseball about that. And my reaction when I read the quote was, pick up the phone. What do you mean you haven't had the opportunity to call? Um, And the same is true for Major League Baseball. Look, once um, the union effectively called their bluff on the universal DH um, and Major League Baseball knew that it wasn't going to get anything in return for it in in, uh, you know, negotiations, they still needed to implement the universal DH for the National League because it's better for the sport at a time when they're talking about getting more balls put in play, more action. Uh, everyone knows that the future of baseball is going to involve a universal DH. Why not put it in for this year? But it was a classic case of MLB cutting off the nose despite his face, punishing, and I'm putting that in air quotes, the union for not agreeing. And on the other hand, with expanded playoffs, I don't get the union's perspective on this. You know, this is a, it's like a lottery ticket with an expiration date. Uh, and if they don't cash it in by the start of uh, tomorrow, the season tomorrow, that's like walking away, you know, and I don't know exactly what the value would be, $25, $50 million for the players when we know that for the players, it's not that big of a deal to add an extra, you know, three to five games. And I don't understand why these two sides can't work together. Yeah, it's just, it is really sad. And you're in a place right now as you're getting ready to start your season where we have with the Nats five players for the opener. Uh, COVID's there again. We're doing the same thing as last year. Right. Uh, on the eve of the season last year, we found out that Juan Soto uh, had tested positive. And so today, you know, I was just on a Zoom call a few minutes ago. Mike Rizzo, general manager of the Nationals, telling everybody that a player tested positive. As you and I talk, I don't know who that player is, but four other players were on a, a private plane with that uh, that individual, and so that means those five guys are not going to be available to play tomorrow. You know, thankfully, it's not uh, Max Scherzer was not one of those. He's going to start, but you know, he told reporters, "Look, you hate it, but you got to deal with it. There's nothing you can do." And I would say this: one thing that. Uh, I think Major League Baseball and the teams did prove last year uh, the players that they were able to deal with these conditions as best they could. It's just too bad after what was generally speaking a positive spring of 
you know, very few COVID tests that uh, you're going to have one of the openers affected in this way. Yeah, and I know one division you're really interested in this year is the NL East. Crazy competitive. Um, look, you know, the, the, the Mets have clearly ramped up, you know, adding Francisco Lindor. Uh, you've got the Nationals with all those stars in their rotation. The Marlins, if there were an expanded playoff field, I think they would again be a threat to, to get back. If the, if the Phillies' bullpen is the, at least league average, you know, they could be a team that could win 88 to 90 games. And we haven't even talked about the Braves, who won the division three straight years and somehow always seem to be very underrated. Um, it's the one division where you feel like all five teams are trying to win this year, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, isn't that nice? Actual professional sports teams trying to win? <laughs> That's right. You don't have any tanking teams in the National League East, which is a departure from what we've seen in a lot of the divisions. What are the Mets doing with Lindor? Well, that one, I got to tell you, um, agents who don't represent Lindor are losing their minds over this because as, as you and I talk, uh, there's an impasse. The Mets offered Lindor 10 years, $325 million. Lindor's camp is looking for 385 for 12 years. Uh, and folks who are not involved in these negotiations would be shocked if Lindor's camp didn't get this done. They would be beside themselves because when you really look at it, you know, okay, so, you know, potentially, uh, you know, Lindor's camp is looking for an extra $60 million there. Uh, are you really going to blow up an offer that starts with the number three, over $300 million, potentially knowing that if you don't get this deal done, can you imagine the pressure on Lindor? Can you imagine how much his financial uh, you know, uh, value could take a hit if he had a mediocre year going into free agency or if he were to get hurt, especially when oh. you've got all, this, all these incredible class of free agents coming up, Corey Seager and Trevor Story and Carlos Correa and Javier Baez. It would be insane for him not to get this deal done, but – as of this moment, the two sides are apart. I, I really hope they get it finished. Okay, we're talking over $300 million guaranteed. Buster, yep. we have never seen an athlete in any sport, if this is what, if he doesn't sign, we've never seen an athlete in any sport in the world make a gamble on themselves like this. No. Uh, and the question is, how much more could he, could he glean by taking that kind of gamble again, you know, he's asking for 385. He's so he's, it's just $60 million apart. And when you put that against the context of what the Mets offered, it's not worth it. Um, and keep in mind, you know, the, the owner that they is negotiating the other side is incredibly motivated. Steve Cohn just bought the Mets. He's the richest owner of baseball. It's New York. How much more leverage could Lindor get in, uh, if he were to wait for free agency in the, fall and again can you imagine the the target that Lindor would effectively put on himself if he doesn't reach an extension with the Mets and that blows up through the year playing in New York uh, it would be enormous and yeah there is a chance that it could pay off if you were to have a monster top five type season as one agent said to me but if it doesn't go perfectly wow he could cost himself a lot of money well, let's end on this. We're finally going to see it tomorrow. The Houston Astros are finally going to have to face the music. Uh, our fans are going to be chomping at the bit. 
everywhere they go. How do you think this finally affects them now that they are going to have to actually see fans every game? I think it'll really diminish their experience. And I always go back to, you know, when I covered Roberto Alomar um, and I was covering him when he went through the spitting incident and he was booed in every park after that. And I'll always believe this. I just don't think he played with the same joy after that. I think it's hard. Um, I think they got a little bit lucky that they didn't have to deal with that last year. But for the core guys on that team, I think no matter where they're introduced, no matter what uniform they wear, they're going to hear it from fans. Altuve, Carlos Correa, Springer. And I look, I, those guys individually, I love those guys. But the reality is their legacy completely changed after that decision came down. Well, your, your work as a writer, as a broadcaster on television, and your podcast, it's second to none. Have a great season, and let's talk soon. Absolutely, Chris. I always love talking with you. I can't wait to have Buster only on again and go, I tried to tell you, Buster, the A's were going to be better than you thought. And we'll end with Mike Farron. He hosts the Power Alley on Sirius XM MLB channel, and he's also a broadcaster for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Here is Mike Farron. Well, hello, Mike Farron. Hello, hello. I'm on your website right now. I'm looking at your resume. Oh, no. Why are you doing that? Secondary play-by-play announcer, host of Arizona Diamondbacks pre- and post-game shows, host of D-backs <laughs> podcast, Hot Stove and BP show, national host SiriusXM, host of the Power Alley. You also host ALDS, NLDS, ALCS, NLCS, and the winter meetings. You're a big deal. No, I'm not. I just try and, you know, like everybody else, I try to make my resume sound better than it actually is. <laughs> I was thinking about while reading your resume, I'm like, I can't even remember the last time I updated my resume. I don't even know where my resume is. Well, you know, in this business, it always makes sense to have a fresh resume because you never know when you're going to have to change the gig. Oh, God. You know, I your guys' show, like I tell you, know, Power Alley is my favorite show. It's what I listen to going to the golf course. I can't tell you how many times I, I've been hitting balls on the range before I would play listening to you and the Duke. I, I, I really think as a baseball show, there's not really many shows better than what you guys are doing on the daily basis. Well, thanks. The check's in the mail. So I, I appreciate it. I mean, I think one of the things that we I, – I would assume that one of the reasons why you like it is because you feel like we do, that this is entertainment and it's supposed to be fun, right? And so baseball shouldn't be life and death. We should enjoy it. That's why I like coming on with you. It's like we like baseball. So we get frustrated at times, of course, but like – Hey man, this is just baseball. It's not, you know, this ain't we, this ain't rocket science or anything. We we ain't solving the world's problems. Well, I'm sure you you talked about Sunday night baseball and what we saw last night, and yeah. you know, watching Mark DeRosa I taped the uh, MLB Central today. I watched it later on, and he's just flipping out about it. I mean, what do we do? I mean, clearly the guy was out at home. You saw it, and uh, like, it's such a bad call. It's a bad look. Well, I mean, it's yeah. I I don't know what you can do. I mean, the the thing is, is that we want replay to get the egregious calls right, correct? Like that's the idea behind it. Is we're going to get the really egregious ones correct, but we still have human beings that are making the calls. And if you see six angles and five of them tell you one thing and one tells you another that might or might not be true, is it enough to make the the change is it enough to do it and i think that's probably where 
I would assume that's where the umpire who was making the decision in New York got tricked a little bit. I mean, I think if you see the angle that's kind of from the first base on deck circle, you go, I don't know, did his toe hit the plate? Did it not? You know, what does it kind of look like? And then if you see the one from directly behind home plate, you see that Darno pushed his leg, you know, what looks like, you know, from me to you off the plate. So I don't know. I think it's if you're looking for things to try and, and you know, ensure that, that you, it has to be, you know, 100% clear-cut concrete that these things are going to happen. And and I don't know that the other way is better, right? Like if, if you have somebody who's in there who's looking to change the call or looking for something that, you know, gives them a sign and it's not clear-cut and they change it the other way, that doesn't necessarily make it any better. I mean, this is the, it, as much as we're using technology, it's still the human element at play. Yeah, I, I say it all the time on my show. The technology, the problem's not the technology. It's the humans using it. So let me ask you, I don't know the answer to this, but back in New York, do they have video specialists? I'm not talking about baseball people. I'm not talking about umpires. Yeah. People who are professional video people helping the umpires to see what really is going on. Because there are professionals who know how to deal with this kind of type of equipment and to use it correctly. Yes, I, there there definitely are. It's not just the, you know, like two umpires sitting with a cup of coffee and a box of Dunkin' Donuts in a room. <laughs> like they've got a huge replay center with a number of technicians that are helping them. And they can ask for multiple angles. They can ask to zoom in on things. They can ask to do all these different things. And listen, the review took five minutes last night. So I don't want anybody to think that the umpire who was making that decision wasn't doing it with care. You know, they were trying to, it took so long, which is another issue because they wanted to try and get the call right. They made a mistake. It's, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of Jim Joyce missing the call in Andres Galarraga's perfect game, which helped lead to more expanded replay. It's never going to be perfect. It's just got to be better. And, and it is better but it's it's still there are still going to be these frustrating moments that happen. You know what's so weird about baseball versus football and basketball is when there are bad calls or when there's things that you just go, this isn't right. The owners come out and talk. You'll hear from owners after a football game. You'll hear from owners in the NBA. It's like baseball. This one game at the end of the year could end up costing a playoff spot. And we'll never hear from any of the owners. Whenever there's screw-ups, we never hear from the – why in baseball do we never hear from the owners? That is a really good question. I would think that the more you talk, the more you open yourself up to scrutiny. Um, and so I would assume that that's the case. Now, you know, full disclosure, I'm employed by the Diamondbacks too, and our, our owner does speak occasionally publicly. And, you know, he wants to you know, present his side of arguments. But I think it's you know very rare. You might see two or three times a year. But I also think that they employ people who are you know agents of ownership, whether it be team presidents or general managers or um, you know a combination of both that are are empowered to speak on their behalf. And so you know I think that's where some of it comes from. But I don't know that you know like if an owner comes back. First of all, the brave well the Braves are owned by by a corporation, right? So. I don't think Terry McGurk from Liberty Media is going to go out <laughs> and make a statement on the umpires last night. I don't know that the, I, I, I could tell you that's not Liberty Media's culture because they're also a, a major owner of, of my other employer, <laughs> Sirius XM. So, like, they're, they're not going to come out and do that. But, like, I don't know what it necessarily serves its purpose. And, and I think the other thing is, like, 
you know, there's only 16 football games, right? So like once you're, you're dealing with something once a week, we're doing this every day. And if you came out and, you know, stopped your feet about every perceived slight, you would get, all of a sudden it'd be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't talk so much, right? So. So tonight, we're looking for maybe some history. According to my notes, no D-back has ever hit a home run in five straight games. And Escobar, who's been red hot during the streak hitting 438, uh, looking to be the first D-back to do that. Could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, he he was colder than cold until the last day in Colorado, and now he's hot as can be. And he is not missing the barrel right now. Um, you know, as you mentioned, four homers in four consecutive games. And Escobar had a really rotten 2020 season. I mean, it was a really bad year. And so to see him bounce back has been, you know, at least in these last couple of games, has been very gratifying. Um, it's been nice to see, but I think they're going to need, you know, they're going to need him to continue to be productive. Um, I don't think he's going to homer every game from here on out. But with Cattell Marte out of the lineup and Christian Walker out of the lineup right now, like, I think they're going to need some some more production out of Escobar, and they're going to have to keep, keep him hot because, um, you know, at least for tonight, they're without two big bats. And for Marte, it's a while longer with him on the injury list. Well, you know, Tom Candiotti came on the program at the start of the – right before the start of the season, we were talking D-backs, and I was asking about Madison Bumgarner, and he called Madison Bumgarner – probably like a fourth in the rotation guy, which is like, wow, that's how far he's fallen, making $23 million. But, you know, the bottom line is the D-backs have lost eight of his 11 starts since signing with the team. What have you been seeing from what you used to see with the Giants and where he is now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, an, it's actually not that far off from where he was with the Giants in 2019. I mean, the velocity has ticked back up this year from where it was last year. Um, you know, I think some of it's pitch execution. You know, his last start was in cores, and, and you know, I think as his outing went on, his curveball flattened out on him a little bit, and that's a big pitch. So, I mean, I think it's you know, the guy's got a lot of innings under his belt, and uh, you know, I think I think his. So I, I don't want to denigrate him because obviously this is one of the great competitors of the last 15 years, and he's a tremendous postseason pitcher, and he's got the you know he's got the skins to prove it, right? But but I think there was a little bit of an inflated sense of where he fit into a rotation from the perception of the public based on the way he pitched in the postseason, where he was probably more like, you know, less a, a true number one and more like a very good two or kind of a three. Um, I think he can potentially get back to that kind of number three starter mold, but we need to see a little bit more consistency in terms of basketball command. He needs to be able to locate the cutter a little bit better. He, he, I thought early in the game, in his last start against Colorado, did a good job kind of changing the shape on it and making it a little bit longer to get some swings and misses from righties. And um, I, I'd like to see him use his changeup more because it's actually pretty good. But I think there's he's kind of in that, that mold that veteran pitchers get into where you're trying to be stubborn against the, the, uh, the sands of time while at the same time learning how to adjust with what you have. And he was pretty close at the end of last year, I think, to figuring out he's got a little bit better stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if in the not-too-distant future he starts putting up some more Madison Bumgarner-esque starts, just maybe not to the, the you know, full-blown fire-and-brimstone guy that he was in his late 20s. 
Well, you know, I'm sure you looked at the schedule for the A's to start the season, first 10 games against the Astros and the Dodgers. They struggled early, Mike. They were terrible. They couldn't pitch. Starters weren't good. Bullpen wasn't good. They couldn't hit. But the last two games, actually the last three or four that the A's have won, especially the last two, they look like themselves again. It's like they kind of got their swagger back. What do you expect from the athletics in this quick two-game set? Well, I mean, I think I think you're waiting for guys like Matt Olson to get hot. You're waiting for Matt Chapman to get hot. You're waiting for Sean Murphy to get hot. I mean, Sean Murphy's not going to strike out in 50% of his plate appearances this year. So I think it's just more, you know, timing than anything. And, get, and you know, guys get off to slow starts. And, and you know, I, I still really believe in the core of this A's team. I mean, I think it's really good in the rotation, I think. They have four outstanding core offensive pieces in in the Mats and Loriano and um, and Murphy and you know Canna has been great the last two and a half years and um, you know obviously has been a big spark in the leadoff spot so you know I, I don't know that I can necessarily predict what to expect in the next two games per se but I do think that this is going to be a pretty typical will feel like a pretty typical A's squad where you're going to look back in you know, May or June and realized that the slow start was something that happened. Cause it seems like every year since last year, the A's start slow and like, it's going to be gone. And all of a sudden you're going to realize, Oh yeah, this is a team that is, um, you know, a legitimate contender. And I think that they still have a very good chance of winning the AL West. Handicap the NL West for me. We knew Dodgers and Padres would be mm-hmm. good. Giants kind of shocking. Hey, the D-backs, you guys are one hot streak away from being in it too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clearly the Dodgers division. I mean, I think it's the Dodgers league, really. I mean, they're really, really good. So, um, you know, I and I think even with the changes that the Padres made this winter, I think that, you know, for a while they caught up to them. And then, you know, the Dodgers went out and added Bauer. And, you know, Corey Knievel's looked unbelievable for them so far. And that was a huge add. Um, you know, so I think it's those are two the two best teams for sure. And then, you know, the Giants are kind of plucky. You know, they have very good starting pitching, and they've done a very good job of identifying players that kind of fit their their mold. And so I, I really like what they have. I think, um, you know, I'm, I have questions about what their offense is going to be. I mean, they're going to try and platoon away as many of the disadvantages that they have, you know, that that's kind of part of their plan. Um, and I think the Diamondbacks are kind of right with them in that spot and that they're, you know, a team that if, if things go right can, you know, be battling for one of the wild card spots, but there's not a whole lot of margin for error. And that's kind of how I view both of those teams right now. And right now, you know, the Diamondbacks with margin for error is, you know, there's, there's a fair margin for it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're right in that, that spot now with a couple of key guys out. And, um, you know, that, that if this wasn't necessarily going to be a great offense to begin with, that they've got a chance to be able to be, you know, to, to try and, you know, make hay over the next 10 days of the group that they have can help to buoy them the rest of the way. But I think their rotation is going to be a little bit better than what it's shown overall, and especially tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a great matchup. Like, I'm so fired up for tomorrow. Zach Gallon and Hazel Pizzardo is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's going to be good. Let's end on this because we, we know you got to go to work. Um, I don't know what the Minnesota Twins and the other sports teams in Minnesota are going to do because this is not going to stop anytime soon. And they're now talking about a curfew being put tonight in Minneapolis. Are they just going to have to take the Twins out of Minneapolis for a while and they just become road warriors? I don't know. I don't know. I think that they're, I mean, as of from what the president, David St. Peter, said earlier this afternoon, it didn't seem like um, that was something that had been discussed to this point. 
I don't know. And to be honest, I haven't seen the news in the last couple of hours to know, you know, what has happened, you know, if anything uh, on the streets of, of Minneapolis and the suburbs um, since then. But, you know, it certainly is something that is a huge concern. Um, and it, and I think more than anything for the, you know, for the safety and the health and well-being of, of you know, the residents in, in Minneapolis and especially those that, you know, are affected by the, these, you know, continuing issues. I mean, this is you know, like this is pretty crazy to think that like we're still in the midst of the George Floyd trial and this happened. You know, it, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, take sides in this argument. I don't think this is probably the place to do it. But um, I certainly do, I do appreciate the fact that the, the twins said that you know it was for the safety of everybody involved and for out of respect to the family of the of the young man that was shot and, and killed yesterday that they were going to postpone today's game. And I guess we're just going to have to be in a wait and see mode. Well, looking at that resume, you are a big deal. And I can't wait when we all can hook up and I can buy you beers again. Oh, someday. Someday we'll all be able to do that. You are the best and keep doing a great job and keep entertaining me. Uh, I'll do my best. Anything to entertain you, Tony. <laughs> Take care, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. We want to thank the Mad Dog, Chris Russo, Buster Olney, and Mike Farron. That will do it for A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.